0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, my, name, my name is Terry. Uh, if you haven't met me yet, I'd love to meet you afterward, and uh, it's good to be back in the swing of things. Uh let me just give a quick shout out. Pastor James has preached like eight Sundays in a row. Man, thank you, bro, for doing that. Um, yeah, a good hand for you. That's nice. I like that. Um, so, yeah, well, I've been on respite with this uh, shoulder kind of stuff. So, it's good to be back. Uh, we're in the Gospel of Luke today. As you just saw, we're continuing in our journey through the Gospel of Luke where we are hoping to see, uh, to have a face to face encounter with Jesus and encourage ourselves to encounter him in a fresh way. And as we've been going through this process, maybe as you've been journaling at home in your uh, Bible journey, uh, journals during the week, um, you may have noticed something. Um, and even as you're out talking with people, but I think it, I think it um, happens most when we're reflective of our own hearts and we begin to think things through. I've noticed this, maybe you've noticed it as well. And that is that when, in the quiet moments of our hearts, When we're still, we were we're still enough to think. You know, we're not too busy to think. Um, Every human being wrestles with the reality that we've really messed some things up, right? That we really do have uh, flaws in our lives. Maybe we've hurt people. Uh, Maybe we've hurt ourselves. Um, Maybe uh, maybe that's something that that you've you've noticed too. Um, Maybe, maybe we've offended God in some way. Maybe we've misrepresented him in some way. Maybe we've let someone down in a meaningful way. Maybe we have secret sin that, that plagues us no matter how hard we try. Right? I think if we're honest this morning, we're, we're among friends, right? If we're honest, then I think we all can find ourselves in these situations at one time or another. I feel very confident uh, saying that. So, uh, so that we're all on the same page. Biblically speaking, I just want to, I'm going to use the word sin a lot today. And I want to define that sin. Is, or sin is thoughts, deeds, and motives that violate the moral standard of God. So when I, I use that word a lot today, uh, that's what I'm going to be talking about. And truly, this moral standard of God is written on the human heart, man. It's kind of in all of us. And um, according to the book of Romans, and we also have a very real objective moral will of God revealed to us in his word, most of all through the person and work of Jesus. And so the truth is that we all know all too well that there are thoughts, deeds, motives in our lives that miss the moral will of God. So that's why today I've titled our time together, Sinners Like Us. Right? Not just sinners like me, I qualify, right? not just a sinner like you, you qualify, but it's us. Right? We're all in this thing together. So I hope, can we all agree this morning that we're on equal footing? Okay, thank you. Good, good, good. So you, I, we have this sin problem that sets a ra- separates us from God altogether, maybe, or even under the best circumstances, it hinders our fellowship uh, with God. And others uh, from being what it's designed to be. So I'm glad we all agree. So basically, the question for today is not, are we sinners? The question is, what do we do with it? What do we do with our sin? Well, uh, of course, there, there are lots of options that we are given in the culture. What do we do with our sins? Option A would be, we could choose to believe sin isn't a real thing. We could, we could deceive ourselves in that way and, uh, we live in a culture where sin is considered like an archaic word or idea where it doesn't really apply anymore. There's no God above us. And, that, and as long as you're being your authentic self, that's really what matters. And so quit feeling guilty and go live your life. right? That's option, that's option A that we're kind of fed in the culture. Option B would be that, yes, we acknowledge sin is real, but we can also think that we can never really be not guilty. So we just carry it. Right, that's option B. This this view of sin usually results from maybe you were raised or have a background of a legalistic uh, type of religiosity, um, where guilt was kind of the name of the game, man. You know, um, this view teaches that we're only as good as our last performance. That God is somehow saying, "What have you done for me lately?" Right. That that's God. God's way, And that we somehow have to pay off our karma or pay off the universe or pay off some distorted view of God in order to undo or rebalance that bad thing that we did. So that's something I've noticed. Maybe you've noticed that too. Something else I've noticed that you may have noticed too is that these views, what we're describing here in the culture, lead to despair. They lead to despair. So on the one hand, when sin isn't seen as a real thing, in our, in our gut, we know better. Especially when sin is done to us. We can recognize it that way. There's a, there's a, a, a wrenching authority that, that tells us, man, what that thing I did or that thing that was done to me really is wrong. So that doesn't quite fit. And as a side note, a little caveat here, we, we can know that that thing is wrong unless we've seared our own conscience. If we've sort of shouted down our God-given conscience, if we shushed it enough. Then we can maybe not recognize those things. C.S. Lewis rightly said, "When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. And when a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less." So, but if you haven't seared your conscience, uh, then you know good and well that there is sin on your ledger that that haunts you. So on the one hand, you are constantly on the guilt train, right, trying to have your good deeds outweigh your bad in some cosmic balancing game. So we have uh, option A, sin isn't real. Option B, sin is real, but you're stuck with it. Both of those lead to despair. The reason they lead to despair is because neither of them give you freedom. That's because neither of them reflect who you are nor what sin is, let alone the solution to sin. Well, why am I saying all this? Because those things aren't true, and I have great news. <laughs> I have great news for you. You don't have to be in despair. There was a, um, a famous psychiatrist, Carl Menninger, who said this If I could convince the patients in psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them would walk away the next day. 75% of them would walk out of the psychiatric hospital if they knew their sins were uh, forgiven. And I can tell you, in years of counseling and talking with people, I say he's right. I say that the good news is that the Bible has the accurate diagnosis for our sin problem. Our sin is real. It has the right prognosis for our sin problem. If we don't do something about it, it's going to wreck our souls. It's going to wreck our relationship with God. It's going to wreck our relationship with other people. And the Bible has the right prescription for our sins. We need to be forgiven. Not just forgiving, forgiving ourselves, oh, that's, that's an important second step, but being forgiven by God. Um, again, I've got great news. Let's now turn to the Word of God. Luke chapter 1 is where we are. And we're going to be in verses 57 through 66. Now, remember our context before we read it. In the opening section of Luke... Luke, uh, a couple of weeks ago now, um, we read about the birth, uh, the, the foretelling of the birth of a guy named, who's eventually going to be named John the Baptist, right? And uh, his father, Zachariah, a God-fearing man, doubted God's promise, and God literally put him on mute, right, be- be- because of that. Um, and in between last week, Luke inserted uh, the person that John would be the forerunner of. The, he foretold the birth of Jesus himself, Now, in our text today, Luke moves back to John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, and he picks back up with John's father, Zechariah, at this time again. He's on mute from the Lord. And so let's pick up in Luke chapter 1, 57 through 66. If it's possible for you, could we stand to read God's word together? Because uh, as Reach Life Church, that's what we believe we're about to read, God's word. Uh, Luke chapter 1, 57 through 66. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. Now let's pause there. Uh, Remember what God's word told us before that. God had commanded them, Call him John. Right, So Elizabeth is saying, no, he's going to be called John. Okay, let's pick up back in 61. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. Remember, he can't, he can't speak right now. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately his, Zechariah's mouth, was open and his tongue set free and he began to speak praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. And everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. This is the word of God. Thank you. You can be be seated today. So in context, what we have is someone who is already, Zechariah, who is already in right relationship with God. Right, remember the detailing of Zechariah and Elizabeth's relationship with God? Back in chapter 1, look at verses 5 and 6, kind of back at the beginning of chapter 1. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And here, here it tells us about him. And they were both righteous before God. Walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So Zechariah was a man of righteous living. He was a God-fearing man, and more importantly, he and Elizabeth were looking forward to the promised Messiah to come, right? Trusting God in that. We looked backward to the Messiah. They looked forward to the Messiah. So the question is, can those posing this to you, can someone who is in right relationship with God sin? I ask you, yes, yes, yeah, the answer is yes. Uh, and anybody in here who's a follower of Jesus, would you acknowledge that you, I still have, I still have a problem with sin, like I would, right? I see heads nodding, Zach's like, yes, right? Um, the answer is, is all of us could do that. So who is this message for today? All of us. It's for all of us. Um, as you probably noticed in the passage, This passage is a small clip of a single event, and it's got one core message. And Zechariah is a faithful follower of God, and he sins. He's disciplined by God. That discipline has its work. Zechariah comes to agree with God, right? And then God restores Zechariah, and all the people worship God. That's what happens here in this event. So today... Uh, Normally, we like to kind of go verse by verse through and do what's called expository messages. Today, the message is going to be a little bit different. This is going to be a topical and theological message looking at the event that just happened here and saying, "Okay, what does that teach us about God? What does that teach us about ourselves? Like you've been doing in your journaling uh, at home. So those of you here watching today or or listening um, who are not followers of Jesus, hang on. We'll get to your sin in a minute. Right, but let me first. I want to talk about the sin of us Christians. Um, we, uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're here and you would consider yourself a Christian, you would acknowledge probably that Christians are sinners, wouldn't you? Right, Christians are sinners too, man. Uh, and all the non-Christians said, "Amen." Right. Um, so today, if you're not a Christian, you'll get an inside look at what it looks like and what the Bible teaches about us sinning Christians. And what we do with our sin or what we should do with our sin and our sinful behavior. So again, the context of the passage is when real followers of the one true God are in right relationship with the Savior, fail and sin, what do we do? So we're talking about how we view our sin and what we do with it. But first, we need to look at what God does when we sin. That's the first thing in your outline there. God might discipline us. When we sin. Doesn't he discipline Zechariah? Right? No, there's a difference between being in covenant with God and having right relationship with God. Married, married couples, you can attest to this. You can be in the marriage covenant and the relationship be wrecked. Is that the truth? You're still in covenant, you're still married, but the relationship is awful. Right? That, that can happen. Well, right here, Zechariah is still part of God's old uh, covenant family. He's walking with God But sin has now placed distance between he and God relationally. Not positionally, but relationally between he and God. So you can still be in covenant with God. It's an eternal covenant. But lose the intimacy with God. And some of you may know what that's like. I know what that's like. How many of you have been through a season in life where your relationship with God is a tense one? Maybe. Maybe there's a little hostility that you feel between you and God. Maybe it's just dry and dusty. You know. Maybe you're in a season of, of uh, you're being disciplined by God, and you can feel it, right? Um, I know that because I've gone through it myself. I, I know what it's like to still be a child of the king but not have the joy of my salvation. And Maybe you've been there too. Maybe you're there right now. Again, I have, I have great news. So, but in this case, uh, God disciplines Zechariah. And let me, let me say something about that. Notice it's not punishing Zechariah in the sense that we might think about it. He's not punishing him. Um, it's a discipline. And there's a difference. Discipline is because God, the perfect father, disciplines us in appropriate ways that are for our good and not for harm. Right? And the outcome would be to grow us beyond the sin that we're in and restore us to right relationship with Him. It's restoration. Right? So, as Christians, let me tell you that Jesus took your punishment. God doesn't punish you, Jesus took your punishment. But God might discipline, right, for the hopes of of growing you beyond. The sin that you're in. In fact, God disciplines those whom He loves. You guys realize that Scripture teaches that. Let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11 say, Consider Him who endured, this is God, consider Him, God, who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines those, uh, disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7. For they, they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. Verse 11. For the moment, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So you can go from... Being in a season where it's dry and dusty with you and the Lord. Or a season where there's, in your heart, feelings of hostility toward the Lord. You can go from that. God can bring discipline into your life. It can do its work. And then you can move from that kind of state to the state of the peaceful fruit of righteousness because God has trained you through the discipline. And you guys know it's much more peaceful in your life when you know you're walking closely with the Lord, is it not? It doesn't mean it's always easier, but it is much more peaceful to walk with the Lord than go against the Lord. Um, I've experienced that, and I'm I'm sure that you have if you've walked with him while. So, well, that's what God might do. James, did you bring me a water? Would you please? Thank you, man. Have you drank out of this thing right here? Just one. Just one. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so that's what God might do if, if we are uh, sinning. He may bring discipline. But now let's take a look at what should we do when we sin? What should we do? Well, as we all acknowledged in the beginning, we all sin. And by the way, you can recognize that if you look at your neighbor's. Well, they, they sin, right? Like, we, we know that. We know sin when it's done to By the way, they can say the same thing when they look at you, though. You're the neighbor also, right? So, but it's much more easy to recognize someone else's sin. But we're, we're all sinners. And, and by the way, every religion, every moral philosophy, all has to wrestle with this idea of what do we do with our sin. It may not call it sin, but we all have to deal with that. Um, thankfully, Jesus is the real God. He really did provide the path to freedom. Um, That's because it's the true path. And so I would tell you, because this is true, what do you do when you sin? In in a nutshell, run to Jesus. Run to him. Um, This begins with a changing of mind. Zechariah went from doubting God to believing God. Right? Right? He went from saying, I, God, this, this can't. I, I don't get it. I don't think this could happen. I'm, I'm old, right? And then, um, then he writes on the tablet, his name is John. I, I'm, I'm, agreeing, I'm agreeing with, with God. Um, and so that we too must go from unbelief in God and his promises to belief in God and his promises. Zechariah needed to come to embrace what God had promised, that he would have a son who would be the forerunner of of the Messiah, So when we sin, I said we should run to Jesus. And what I mean by that is we should believe and embrace the gospel. That's what it means to run to Jesus. Believe and embrace the gospel. Now James talked about it earlier, but we're going to tell it one more time. What I mean when I say gospel, is the very good, amazing news that God the Son himself stepped into time and space. He lived the perfect life that you and I cannot He died, he rose again, showing that God had received the penalty for our, or the payment for our sin upon Jesus in our place so that we could be set free. James rightly called that the great exchange, where the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Um, So your sinfulness was placed on Jesus' account, and by grace through faith, his righteousness is placed on your account. And that's what we mean, the gospel. That means that real forgiveness is, available, is as available for you as it was for Zechariah. Just the same. So the, my question for you is, do you believe that? Do you believe that real forgiveness, wiping your sins away, as far as the east is from the west, cast into a sea of forgetfulness, do you believe that to be true about your sins? And then will, if you believe that, will you embrace that with your life? Will you embrace that reality? We'll talk more about that in just a moment. So uh, this is what God might do. He might bring discipline. This is what we should do. We should embrace the gospel. It's then if you have sinned, let me tell you something. It's not over for you. I think this text teaches, teaches us that as well. Notice what happened. Uh, during this time of discipline due to sin, Zechariah again, came to a point where he believed in his heart and he confessed with his mouth. Well, I guess he confessed on a tablet, right? He had to write it down first. Um, And then what happened to Zechariah? God was gracious to restore Zechariah. He removed the discipline, didn't he? Right? And it reminds me of a quote that I've used in messages before that when, when God called you to himself, he already factored in your stupidity, right? I and mean, I'm grateful for my sake, right? That He already factored that in for me. God knows what he's getting when he draws you, when he convicts you, when he forgives you, when he makes you new and restores you to himself. That means in spite of me being such a sinner. In fact, because I'm such a sinner, God is so gracious and merciful and kind that Jesus died for me. Let me ask you a question. When did God make the plan for Jesus to die and pay the penalty for your sin? When did that happen? Before you sinned or after? Like way before, right? Before the foundation of the world, God made the plan to reconcile us back to himself. So do the math with me. What logically follows is that God already knew that his payment for your sin would be sufficient for your sin before you ever committed the sin. He already knew that. The question is, do you know that his payment for your sin is sufficient for it? God knows that. God knew that before you said, do you know that? Do you know that his payment is? So listen, followers of Jesus, your failure does not remove you from the family of God. He has no orphans. He never leaves. He never forsakes. Now, there may be real discipline to come. It came in Zechariah's life. God put him on mute. Okay, that's enough from you. Right? There may be discipline, but even that discipline is God's kindness. It's not punishment. It's discipline out of kindness to lead to repentance. And the reason that's good is because true freedom comes when we repent and it puts us right in right fellowship with God. So, What what do these things look like on a practical level? Let's put legs on them. I want to flesh them out a little bit more in practical ways. Let me just give you some brief things here. If you maybe this morning or recently have begun to recognize the weight of sin in your life, um, praise God if you are. In fact, that's the first step. Here's the first step. This is what we do. Confess your sin with gratitude. Recognize the wrong that you've done. Own it. And thank God for the conviction about your sins. Right, this is not an easy experience. This is not, doesn't feel nice. Um, but we have to be sober about the reality of, of what we've done. and um, We begin to, to open up ourselves and assume responsibility for what we've done. Uh, but let me, let me give a little caveat in here. It doesn't mean to beat yourself into the ground. God's not looking for a pound of flesh from you. Jesus gave his whole body. This is not a time for self-loathing or trying to feel as as bad as you possibly can about yourself. It's just to take a sober look at what you've done. And it does mean recognizing that our sin is first and foremost against God. And that's a serious thing. Because it separates us from him either in terms of having salvation altogether, or at least from the joy of the salvation that we already have. And notice I said in there, confess your sin with gratitude. That's that's not what culture would teach you. Um, To be thankful for conviction, like conviction is like a bad word. Um, We should be thankful that God has made our hearts tender enough that we can recognize our sin. If he didn't love us, he just let us go on sinning and not know it and be separated from him forever. But he loves us. Conviction is, is, a, is a great thing. It demonstrates His great love for us. So because Jesus was sufficient to pay the penalty for our sin, then that conviction, that, that twinge of guilt that we feel, is good. If we play, we take that, take our sin to Jesus, we lay them down at His feet, we humbly embrace His payment for and forgiveness of our sins. That's what conviction is supposed to do. It's not for condemnation. It's for restoration. And this is what God wants to do. So then we turn away from our sins. That's step two, repent. Repent. You may already know that's a military term. That means about face. Go a different direction. Make a U-turn. Go the other way. Now this is both difficult and comforting. right? Repentance is both difficult and comforting. It's difficult because it means we're going to have to change our minds about our sin. We're going to have to agree with God about what they are. That was step one, right? But then we're going to have to go to war against our sins. there's an old saying that said, "We must always be killing sin or sin will kill us." It's so true, man. It is so true. Um, now I said, as I said, that's hard to do, but do you realize that uh, repentance isn't just a good suggestion. It's a command? We're commanded to repent. And that sounds harsh too, but let me tell you also that the reality that repentance is commanded is actually good news also. Here's why. Why is it good news that you're commanded to repent from God? Because God isn't going to command you to do something that you can't do. That's great news. That means that real repentance is possible. Like you really can turn away from your sin. The reason is because when you decide to turn away from your sin and to the Lord, you are no longer working in your own power. God, the Holy Spirit will empower you to walk in new life. You can turn from your that. It's great news because you no longer have to be a slave to your sin. Real change is possible. Do you guys? That's fantastic. We don't have to stay who we are. As to, in terms of sinners, this is great news from the Lord. We don't have to be slaves to sin. Because God himself works in you righteousness, a new work, we can be free. We really can be free. That's great news. So that's, that's the third step. Believe the gospel, man. Believe the gospel. Um, we mentioned that before, but consider it a little further. First John uh, In chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, there's two of my favorite verses in the Bible, and they keep us in the right place from falling into a ditch on either side of this thing. Let's read that together. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, we talked about that, right? We're all on level ground. Verse 9, though, check this out. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Righteousness. If we confess our sins and turn to God, he is faithful to forgive us. In other words, God is faithful when we have not been faithful. The question is, do you believe this morning? Do you believe God is faithful? Is that part of God's character? Is he faithful? If you believe that, then John 8 says this. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Verse 36 is great news. So if the son, Jesus, sets you free, you will be free indeed. You should believe that too. If you believe God is faithful, you should believe that too. And I want you to get this settled in your mind. Stamp this on your heart. If you have been made new by Jesus, then you are as forgiven as God is faithful. Can you get a hold of that? If you have been made new by Jesus, then you are as forgiven as God is faithful. Number 4, then keep walk in keeping with repentance. Now this is an extrapolation this morning. This, the text doesn't say this about Zechariah, but Zechariah was a man. And I'm telling you something, I, I believe this is a universal experience with humanity. You may have experienced this yourself. Maybe you've been in a valley of sin. God brace, graciously brings conviction to you about your sin. You acknowledge it before the Lord. You confess, you repent, you, you turn from your sin. And then a day, in a day or two, in a week, in a month, you go right back to the pattern of sin that he delivered you from. Anybody done that besides me? Right. This is a human experience. You know, what makes us go back to our sin? The Bible d- describes this like a dog returning to its vomit. Why do we do that? You know, it can be various things, but I think there's one consistent factor. It's hubris. Arrogance. Arrogance. Um, a false concept of self sufficiency that makes us go back to our sin. You know, we think, you know, I can control it now. Right? I, I, I don't have to let it get as bad as it, as it did last time. I'm safe. That'd be the situation where Jesus would tell you sin is crouching at the door. Right? Uh, this all comes from pride, man, which, which we know leads to our downfall. But uh, rather than hubris, rather than pride, what is required for us to keep walking and keeping with our repentance is not hubris, it's humility. We need humility. Remembering that it was us who put ourselves in that state to begin with. And remembering that it was not ourselves that saved us from the state that we were in. God did that. Right, that's humility. That's a posture where I Am the source of my problems, right? And and God is the source of my salvation. It's I'm the one who's prone to wonder. I'm the one who's prone to leave the God I love, right? And that kind of humility then helps us walk in full confidence in who Jesus is and what He's done. Um, humility about ourselves, full confidence. In Jesus, He has provided all the means to keep us from falling into the pit. He's provided you a great spiritual family here to walk with you, to encourage you, to help you stay on the, the path of freedom. And listen, it takes a lot of humility to go to a brother and sister in Christ and say, man, I'm struggling. I'm in sin or I'm, I, am, I am on the edge of sin. Like I can feel its tug on my heart. I don't want to do that. Please walk with me. Will you be a spiritual splint and hold me straight? Can you help me? I am broken. It takes a lot of humility, but there's strength that comes with accountability. There's strength there. Uh, you know, and ultimately, God has provided the promised Holy Spirit to not only walk with you, but to dwell in you in such a way that you really can live and be alive in him. You don't have to do this under your own power. You know, this morning I've, I've talked a lot about sin and the weird thing is the longer and more closely you walk with God, the more you see your own sin. Now, hopefully it's not because you sin more, <laughs> uh, but, but you see your sin more. Um, again, that's God's grace because he's doing a progressive work of sanctification. In your life, he's making you walk in deeper and more mature holiness. It goes back to the quote from C.S. Lewis about seeing our sin more. It's like, a, it's like if you're in an old, dusty house with all the drapes closed. You can go, go through and, and wipe things up and straighten things and clean it well. You think it looks pretty good. But if you open the curtains and the light comes in, dust is everywhere. It's way dirtier than you thought it was when the light comes in. Right? When the light comes in. Um, or today maybe you aren't a close follower of Jesus. By the way, one indicator, whether or not you are, one indicator is how seriously you feel about your sin problem. That's one indicator. Um, well, what do we do when we begin to see our sins for the first time? What do we do when we've been walking with the Lord, but we sin? What do we do when God graciously begins to help us realize the flaws in our character, thoughts, deeds, motives that we missed before. In all cases, there's, there's a song whose lyrics, I think, sum it up really well. It's called "O oh Sinner by a band called Ghost Ship, and I just want you to listen to these lyrics. Just listen. O oh sinner, don't close your eyes, sinner. Don't heed those lies, sinner. I know it's darker than we thought, sinner. Don't hide your face, sinner. Just feel his grace, sinner. Our God is kinder than we thought. Only God can forgive. Only God can forgive sin. Come now, God can forgive sin. Only God can get rid of this. Oh, sinner, don't clench your teeth, sinner. We can be free, sinner. The light is closer than we thought. So what I'm urging you to do this morning is acknowledge your sin, confess it to God, and then acknowledge Jesus, the Savior, and confess your full faith in Him. And when you do, I would encourage you, then receive the kind, bountiful, sufficient grace that God offers. The bridge of that song then rightly describes the result of when we do that this way. Whiter than the snow. Whiter than the ocean. Farther than the east is from the west. He'll take our sin and make us whiter than snow. wider than the ocean. Farther than the east is from the west. He'll take our sin and make us whole. It says, oh brother, then lift up your face, brother. No more disgrace, brother. Just feel his grace, brother. Oh sister, lift up your face, sister. No more disgrace, sister. Just feel his grace, sister. That's my prayer for myself. It's my prayer for you today.